ever frozen with anxiety? Are the stresses of everyday life bringing you down and maybe even making you ill? You're not alone. Explorer Belinda Kirk has experienced all of that and champions adventure as a way to well-being and a way to becoming more courageous in our everyday lives. This is the Anxiety Advantage podcast. The theme for this season two is courage. In the course of working on this podcast, I have met and talked to many people who have struggled with anxiety and yet have lived full and rewarding lives. I reckon it takes courage to push against our limiting beliefs. It takes courage to step outside our comfort zone. It takes courage to feel our fear about something and do it anyway. So in this season two, we ask, is anxiety calling us to become our most courageous selves? I'm Yang Mei Ui. I'm a writer and podcaster. And perhaps I might also introduce myself as an anxious person. But I wonder, what would it be like to reframe that idea of myself and instead think of myself as a courageous person? I hope you will join me on this exploration and perhaps also see what that feels like for you to think of yourself for a change as someone who is courageous. My guest today is Belinda Kirk. Belinda is an explorer, author and speaker. She is passionate about adventure for well-being and she is the author of the best-selling award-nominated book, Adventure Revolution. She hosts Adventure Mind, a groundbreaking conference series that explores the link between adventure, well-being and mental health. An explorer in her own right, Belinda has walked across Nicaragua, searched for camels in China's Desert of Death, discovered ancient rock paintings in Lesotho, and pioneered inclusive expeditions for people with disabilities. She has also managed remote trips for the likes of Bear Grylls, Ray Mears and Chris Ryan and is a fellow of the Royal Geographical Society and British Exploring Society. She is also an ambassador for the Youth Adventure Trust. Belinda Kirk, you are an advocate for adventure as a pathway to well-being. You've written a book, Adventure Revolution, which is subtitled The Life-Changing Power of Choosing Challenge, and hashtag Adventure Revolution is also becoming a movement for ordinary people to try out adventure in their own lives. Can you tell us more about your, uh, your adventure mindset? The last 26, 27 years, I have taken people on adventures, young people, old people, people from um, all sorts of backgrounds with all sorts of different levels of experience in the outdoors. And what I have seen again and again and again is this transformational effect, this really positive effect um, on their well-being, on their confidence, on their finding meaning in life, building relationships. There's all these ways that adventure, I think, can help us to develop personally and as teams or families. So. I I was just, um, for a long time, I was just really curious as to why is it that we don't value adventure 
in the way that I see adventure? Why, why as a society don't we see it as this powerful and positive force? And I think now that we have a much better understanding and maybe a more mainstream understanding that nature is good for us, I've spent a decade or so, or, so, or nearly a decade researching and trying to figure out why adventure is good. But now that we have this nature narrative as well, this nature effect narrative, I think it's the right time maybe to, and also we have a mental health crisis, it's the right time to talk about adventure as a really innovative or refreshing different way to live our best lives. It's, an, it's essentially an opportunity that we, I think we're missing out on. And I'd like to share it with everyone. So what does adventure mean for you? And, and I think because people have a, a different picture in their heads about what adventure means. And for some people, it's climbing a mountain. Others, actually, an adventure is going down to the local nature reserve. Does it have to be something, you know, that involves um, losing your toes to frostbite and hiking across the Antarctic? Can we just have adventure for someone who is a, a bit bookish and introverted and anxious like myself? Uh, what kind of adventure can I have? Absolutely. I think, I think adventure needs to be rebranded, really. It's not just for men with beards on mountaintops. Um, it's not just, it, it sometimes got quite an elite connotation to it. I think adventure is just a natural part of living. And we have somehow engineered it out of our everyday with our rules and our routines and the comfort that we have. Um, we're lucky to have the comfort. I'm not saying we should throw all of our, the comfort out of our lives, but I think we, it's good to sometimes be cold and wet and hungry and tired because that is actually when we leave our comfort zone. It's where we find out what we're capable of. And so the, the I define adventure as that idea of, um, choosing challenge maybe choosing to be uncomfortable at times because it's it's scary to try new things um it's very closely aligned to i think leaving your comfort zone but it is very much about choice as well and if you're if you're if if what makes you uncomfortable is sleeping in your back garden for the first time then do that and then if you enjoy that or you get the you get hooked on the idea of you know finding out what you can do and what your next um, step might be, you could then go and camp in a campsite, or you could then go and camp on a hillside and do, uh, you know, in, in Dartmoor and do wild camping. Or you could do a hike in the daytime and then step up to a nighttime hike up the same hill. It, it doesn't have to be a mountain, it can just be a hill, um, or along a river or, or wherever. So I think the real, I think probably the really important thing is that adventure is not about the most extreme far-flung places. It is about finding something that is challenging to you, choosing to take that challenge because it's something that calls you. It, it, I'm not talking about just find something random that you have no interest in. I'm talking about, or maybe you've always fancied learning to kayak, but you're a bit scared of it, which is normal because we're scared of things we don't know about. But actually, rather than saying, I'm not going to do it because it's scaring me, Decide what is the smallest first step that you can make in order to do that, to seek out the thing that you really want to do anyway. It's funny that you should mention kayaking because um, I moved to Oxford from London a couple of years ago and I'd go for walks uh, along the towpath 
And that's the, com- the kind of comfort zone aspect. I love being in nature, but I'm walking. And I'm looking at the beautiful river uh, in Oxford. And I thought, I want to try kayaking. But I'm completely wimpy. Uh, I hate being cold. I hate being wet. But I signed up for this kayaking course with my partner. And I said, please come with me. And so we went together. We started in April, so it's really freezing. Uh, but I just loved being out in the evening with the beautiful sunlight and the ducks and the swans floating by. And of course, I'm going around in circles because I can't quite manage uh, keeping it straight. And then we have to do these capsize drills because that keeps you safe because then you know how to escape from the kayak if you go uh, accidentally go over. But of course, when you have to make yourself do it, I'm sitting there going, oh God, and hold your breath and kaplunk, you go upside down, there's water in your nose, it's freezing, there's duck poo everywhere. It's hideous. And I say, I'm never going to come back. But but I come back the next time. I'm still terrified. But I come back because I want to be on the water. I want to learn the skill. I want to be out of an, you know, out, out on a beautiful summer's evening. And eventually, at the end of nine weeks, I am managing to paddle sort of straight. And yeah, kind of, I'm in the water. Okay, yeah, I've done this before. It's still horrible, but I've pushed myself, and it's it's fantastic. Terrifying, but fantastic. Oh, you see, you you've just summed up adventuring, and you know, what I love particularly. Um, what I love particularly about the comfort zone is, I think people think that you step, you have a comfort zone. If you imagine a circle around you, and then you step out of it to do something new, but then you step back into your comfort zone. But it's actually the other way around. You step out of your comfort zone, like you stepped into that kayak, and you actually became comfortable in that kayak. So what happened is your comfort zone grows. So the circle around you that is your life, that is your limitations, if you think about it in one way, you actually expand that circle, that comfort zone. And therefore, you kind of expand the the experience and richness of your life, because then you can take another step when you're ready in your own time. And, you know, you might be whitewater kayaking next or something. <laughs> but what's really good is that you you expand what you're capable of, of doing. So you you're kind of empowering yourself to live and to shape. And also it's very, very addictive. Once you you do something like your kayaking, I think you you said it's terrifying but but exhilarating. You you like that feeling because you feel achievement. You feel a great sense of, you know, if I can do that, well, what else can I do? And I think it's a wonderful building up. And so much in modern life takes us down. And the routines of modern life and, you know, social media and we all have too much screen time and we we all have too little activity. And it can really drive us down the road of eroding our mental health. Actually, by by finding things that build us up, I think that's the perfect antidote, or at least that's what I found for me. <laughs> that's wonderful, and I I like what you say about doing it in small chunks. First, start out in your back garden in terms of camping, and then uh, go further afield, because then it feels manageable. You're not thinking I'm going to camp on the top of Everest. You're thinking oh, I'm going to camp just a few yards down from my back at my from my kitchen door. And bit by bit, you're, as you say, expanding your comfort zone, expanding your horizons. And I suppose that's how children learn and explore the world. They start off crawling and then they're toddling about. And then as we, as we grow, our minds grow and our curiosity takes us further afield. And when you watch a child exploring, it's a fantastic thing. 
they're running around and they're not scared. They're so taken by their new environment. It's a wonderful thing to see. Um, I, I want to ask you more about your book. I was listening to the audio book and it's wonderful to, ha to have had you narrate it because you were in my ears taking me on this journey for several hours. But I have to confess, I would be listening to it lying on the sofa or doing my ironing and very unadventurous stuff. But it did spark me and inspire me. And if you have some wonderfully inspiring and moving stories uh, about the various people you've taken on adventures, could you share some of them with our listeners now? There's so many. It's 26, 27 years of, of leading adventures. And there are so many people from so many different backgrounds on big adventures in, you know, jungles and deserts, but also on small adventures close to home where I've, where I've been part of, where I've witnessed these kind of wonderful ben positive benefits and also for myself. So it's really hard to pick one. <laughs> um, one that, one that still makes me well up <laughs> when I think about it, because I think it's the power of small adventure that is really accessible and that we can therefore affordably find opportunities for people and for children and for young people. It, it, it's very, very close to my heart. So there was a, a young, a teenager called Sam and he had had a couple of years of serious depression, anxiety and had gotten to the point where he had become an elective mute. Now, elective mute means that you physically can speak, but that you stop speaking. And he hadn't spoken for over a year. And as you can imagine, he and his parents were really struggling with this situation and they had tried everything. And then this opportunity came along for a six-week surfing therapy course. And everyone thought, well, it might make, just make him feel a bit better. Uh, you know, he's got so much to think about, so much to deal with. It might just make him feel a bit better about himself, have a bit of fun. Let's try out this pilot study. So Sam went on the pilot study and he did the six weeks of surfing and he, he learned all sorts of things about himself. He, he fell off and he got back up again and he carried on and he built resilience week after week, building his own personal resilience. He started to catch a wave and I don't know if you've ever caught a wave. Um, but it's a great feeling. It's, you know, all that positive psychology, filling up your bank of, with positive emotions. So he had all these great feelings. He had the camaraderie of, with his instructor and his t teammates, um, who were also on the course. And his family, his parents could see that it was making him feel better. It was working. And so they went along to the last week of the course and they were sat on the beach. And then suddenly they were watching their son. Um, playing in the water, having a good time with the instruction, instructor, catching waves and doing high fives. And then suddenly out of nowhere, he just started speaking and he was just chatting very naturally and normally to his instructor with literally with no previous signs that this was coming. And his father went up to Joe, who ran, who ran the pilot study afterwards. And he said, thank you for giving us back our son. And that was the door that opened for Sam that led him to um, his recovery, really. It, it gave him hope, it gave him the confidence, the resilience, whatever it was, whichever magical ingredient, it helped to open that door. And uh, that wonderful pilot study is now a wonderful charity called The Wave Project. And they take 
kids surfing. And they help these kids who are struggling with life to find hope and to find themselves and to build their confidence and everything else. So a small thing like regular surfing for six weeks for a teenager who was not speaking, it it can have great power. And we don't have to, as much as I love climbing mountains, and I could tell you many stories of taking people up to the top of their first mountain, you know, summiting their first mountain. I think when you summit your first mountain, you see the world differently, but you also see yourself differently. Because if you if you think, I, I've actually climbed a mountain, I've climbed this mountain, it might be Mount Snowden, um, doesn't have to be Everest or anywhere, um, anywhere far flung. And you think, wow, if I can do this, then maybe I can do other stuff. Maybe I'm capable of more than I thought I was capable of. So it's a great, powerful thing. That's such a beautiful story. And there are many of those in, in your book, which I would definitely recommend to everyone. Um, I'm going to share a story about my mum. She's 83 and she's got sciatica and was stuck in lockdown in Malaysia for you know, a couple of years. She recently came to join us uh, in the UK after my father died last year. And she's been a bit uncertain about walking because of the dodgy pavements and her bad back and, and being a bit doddery and not as fit. And uh, she, you know, when she was younger, she'd sort of zoot around all over the place. And last week, she messaged to say that she had been um, building her strength by walking up and down in the corridor of my brother's house uh, over several months, and she wanted to be independent. So she took herself off out for the first time, walked along the pavement for about 20 minutes to go to the hairdresser. And this was her trial run because she's going to the hairdresser in, in a couple of days. But this was her trial run because she wanted to see if she, she could do it. And then she walked all the way back. She had to sit on the bench, but that was what she did. She sat on the bench. She came back. And I thought, wow, mum, fantastic. That was her adventure. And, and I think it's, it, it, it really doesn't have to be, um, climbing a mountain because for her, that was the mountain. Oh, that's a, beautiful story and it is it is and it is at any age and it can be at any level i completely agree and it's she wanted to live a richer life didn't she she wanted to keep her autonomy and her independence and so she took action and she worked out how she would do it and i what people ask me a lot about how do you take on intimidating tasks like that and i think at any level it's the same steps that you can learn you break it down you don't think about getting all the way to the hairdressers or all the way to the top of the mountain. You break it down into camp one, two, three, or bench one, two, three on the way. I think also you, the more you do things, obviously your mum has been, it knows herself very well, but if you're a young person or a child, the more you do things, you learn about your capabilities. And obviously your capabilities can change with fitness and so on, but you learn about your own capabilities. And that's a very empowering thing to know what to know your body, it's something that I'm, we're doing a lot with my son at the moment. He's, five, he's nearly five. And something that we really believe is that becoming physically, having physical prowess is a really important part of your, of your personality, of anyone's personality. Um, and because we're so inactive, it's something that we kind of lose. And I think that knowing yourself physically can really help yourself in your head with your mental, with anxiety and so on, because you, you can build up your confidence in yourself physically. It can help you build up yourself mentally. 
So for yourself, what, what is your personal journey? You mentioned before I, I clicked record that you actually feel anxiety as well. Would you share your story with us? I think of myself as a quite a natural worrier. Definitely when I was at school, I was frozen with fear a lot of the time. I think a lot of school days were about fearing failure. And the fear of failure kind of dominated a lot of my school time. It doesn't matter how well you or how poorly you do at school. That can be something that can set up a pattern. I did very well at school, but actually it didn't matter because I didn't think I was doing well enough. And I got, I did one of my GCSEs early and I remember I got a B in my maths. I did it a year early and I felt like a complete failure. (laughs) I mean, it sounds ridiculous now, doesn't it? But I think if your expectations are set in the wrong way, as a young person, I, I also, I also experienced some real challenges in my youth as a child in that I was, um, I experienced some violence more than once. And I set, it set up a pattern of feeling quite hopeless, quite worthless even. And for me, I, by the time I was a sort of a teenager, I, I was a very, I had very low self-esteem. And I think that went along with this, this worrying because I, I felt like I could never be good enough for anyone or anything. It was, I was never meeting the expectations that I thought were being set. Probably a lot of it was coming from me internally. And so I had very low self-esteem. And then I went on the Duke of Edinburgh Award and something called me, I think, a call to adventure because the other parts of the Duke of Edinburgh Award seemed interesting and worthy, but it was really the adventure part that, re- that really wanted I wanted to do and that kind of draw, drew me to it. And so I went off on an expedition to the Brecon Beacons with the Duke of Edinburgh Award. And, oh, my friend who I'm still friends with now, 30 odd years later, um, she said it was like a light came on. And I had never realized until years later when I talked to her about it, actually, just how other people had noticed. But for me, I just thought, I love this. And I think I'm good at this. I'd like, maybe I can do this. And I had that great realization when we survived three nights out in the middle of nowhere or two or three nights out in the middle of, of the Brecon Beacons in pouring rain, getting lost, carrying far too much stuff in a badly packed rucksack, getting, you know, blisters and rubbings on, on hips and all that. And I came back that actually having enjoyed it and actually thinking, I'm quite, I could be, I don't know, I wouldn't go as far as saying I was a badass, but I felt really really good about myself and I hadn't I don't know if I'd felt like that for a long time and so I just pursued it as something that I wanted to find I wanted to do that again I I didn't know I hadn't I didn't dissect it I didn't analyze it I didn't understand it I just knew I needed to do that again I needed that stuff in my life and so it opened a door for me to confidence and it took a while it wasn't a one trip and it, it's a bit I don't think mental health is, is not like physical health. You don't go to the gym once and feel that you're very fit suddenly. You have to get into a pattern of things that make you fitter and make you feel better. And so I pursued that because it made me feel better. And, um, I was, of course, terrible at it because when you begin anything, you're sort of terrible at it. But I, 
I was willing to give it a shot because I felt a real affinity to it, I suppose. And so it, it was a doorway. And from there, it was, um, my life changed. I then went to Africa when I was 18. Uh, well, in between that, I did a number of adventurous challenges in Britain, you know, just in national parks around Britain, nothing too challenging. And I was still at, I still couldn't navigate very well. So <laughs> I didn't want to go too far off tracks and stuff. But we did all sorts of camping trips and so on. And then I, I, I really wanted to go to Africa and just go and do something abroad. So I went to Africa when I was 18. I ended up actually tr- um, working on my first expedition in Africa. And then I traveled for most of the rest of the year on my own around Africa, purely because I, I didn't know how else to stay there apart from my own. I, I traveled with some friends from the work that I was doing. When they went back to university or work, I, it was either stay or go home or stay on my own or go home. So I was like, well, I was almost more embarrassed by the sort of going home and telling everyone I'd given up. I couldn't stay there. <laughs> the, the social embarrassment, the social failure pushed me out to, to stay there and just try. And thank goodness, you know, like everything, like I was saying earlier, once you try, you, you get through a day, you get through another day, you, you feel more confident from having achieved that. So if there's this positive feedback. You just have to take that step. And I took those first steps and they took me on a whole new route. You've mentioned feeling anxious and, um, as a young person and, um, experienced the pain and, and violence and, but actually you overcame that through the path that you took with adventure and it built confidence. It created, uh, this person who is quite inspiring to so many people. And you've helped so many people realize their own self-worth through adventure. But I think part of what is sort of underlying that is, is this thing daring to fail that, that you started off saying that, you know, you, you set a really high standard for yourself. And for most people, getting a B in an exam is like, wow, that's fantastic. But that was not good. You, you felt it was not good enough. Um, so can you talk more about daring to fail? I really believe in this idea of daring to fail. Largely because I think if we don't dare to fail, then we're not really leaving our comfort zones and therefore we're not really going to have the opportunity to find all that growth. That idea of leaving our com- your comfort zone and expanding your comfort zone, is it, this is where the magic in life is. This is where the learning, that's where you learn, you learn new lessons and find out what you're capable of. And and experience magic that in, in life that you wouldn't otherwise even dream of. You know, you can't even imagine a lot of those things because if we stay with what's familiar and comfortable and easy, um, not that life is easy because actually it doesn't make life easier. That's the ironic nature of it, I think. But if we, if we stay with what's comfortable and known to us and we're not willing to step in, into the unknown and, um, sort of feel feel capable enough to deal with uncertainty and adversity to some point to some degree then we can't really find out who we are and also we can't really follow our dreams can we because anything that's or most things in life that are really worth something to us take some getting outside of our comfort zone it they take some adversity, some uncomfortableness, and some, of course, daring to fail, you know, whether it be starting a new business or, or embarking on a new relationship, 
or getting married or having children. I mean, the hardest thing I've done, the hardest thing me and my partner agree, the hardest thing we've ever done is having a little boy. But he is also the most wonderful part of life. But he is the hardest part of life. <laughs> um, it's been the hardest transformation for all of us. In your book, you have a story of someone called Freya that might be relevant to uh, to this theme. Would you like to share that? Yes. Oh, Freya. Freya is this lovely woman that I um, I met through my adventure organisation, and she came on some trips in Britain, small weekends of adventuring. On the outside, she seemed like this terribly got her stuff together kind of lady very charismatic and very eloquent and popular, you know, real sociable kind of person with a good career and so on. But actually, having gotten to know her over the years and, and interviewed her for my book in the end, she was doing really well in life, but she felt that she was quite stifled at work and she didn't step up to certain challenges at work because she didn't want to fail. In particular, public speaking and, and presenting her own ideas and work and thoughts and so on, which is, of course, if you don't present your own ideas and work, you, I think you always get slightly sidelined, don't you? Or someone else will present your work, and <laughs> even if they don't intend to, because they talk, take credit for it. So if you want to be part of the dialogue, you have to be able to do that. And she felt that she just didn't have the confidence. And what Freya did is she came on some hiking and some mountain weekends with me in Britain. And actually on Snowden as well. And she, she found herself pushing herself, doing things a bit more outside of her comfort zone than she thought she was going to. But she actually, she felt like the camaraderie of the group. She wanted to get, get in there and try some things. And it led her then to getting into some climbing. And she's still a climber today. And what she's found is that she found direct techniques from climbing and figuring out how to scale the bouldering wall. And also she did outdoor, but in, if you imagine scaling this, working out this puzzle of how to get up this, this bouldering wall, she found ways to improve her confidence. And also she found ways to um, deal with failure, deal with falling. She fell, but she also realized by falling, it was not the end, it was not the end of her climbing and it was not the end of her summit attempt, as it were. It was just a, a lesson. It was a step in the road. So she's found all sorts of techniques from that she's learned to climb physically, and she's translated those into her life and into her career. So now can we look at anxiety in an outdoor adventure situation? And you have, uh, you told us the story of Freya and, and falling. And of course, when you're climbing and you fall, you're okay because you've got the safety ropes. So when can anxiety in an outdoor situation arise? And how can you decide that what you're feeling is an appropriate anxiety? What I found is that adventures really helped me to reframe fear and anxiety. The feeling of anxiety and fear and worry are also quite close physiologically, or very, very close, in fact, physiologically to excitement. This idea that, you, that fear and worry and excitement are all very similar physiological um, reactions within the body, very much connected to the fight or flight 
action, which is obviously hardwired into us as hunter-gatherers and is there to protect us. But it's also there to make us perform at our peak physical, sort of perform at our peak. What I've learned from adventuring is that when you feel fear, you can reframe it very much like we were talking about obstacles and leaving our comfort zone. You you can reframe that as an idea of well, failure is a, you can reframe failure as a, as a way to grow. You can also reframe fear as a way to your peak performance. So for me, when I think, when I might be feeling fearful, kind of, I understand that the fear is there as information. It's there to help me. It's there telling me that something's going on for which I need to be paying my full attention. I also, in a much more, less intimidating, much more friendly way, I go, also, this fear is here and it's helping me to be at my peak. It is actually, I see my fear now as my superpower because fear, um, when you get that fight or flight response, you have all the, the physiological side effects or, or effects of that. Your breathing goes faster, your heart rate goes up, all the digestion sort of shuts down and all the blood rushes to your muscles so that you're ready for fight or flight. This actually means that you're particularly strong, fast. It's why people, um, when they're at the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games or whatever, they get their personal best there because they are, couldn't be more excited stroke fearful. <laughs> it's all about pumping you up and getting you ready. Also, your senses are particularly acute. So if you think about it, you've got super hearing, super strength, whatever you are, it is a superpower. And if you think about that fear, those feelings that can overwhelm and instead try to think, no, this is excitement. Okay. Some of it's fear, also some of excitement and it's preparing me and it's going to make me perform at my best. Then you can in some ways help yourself to deal with that, those feelings as an adventures definitely help me deal with that, those anxiety feelings because you can get overwhelmed by fear and anxiety or you can go I'm not going to get overwhelmed. I'm going to try and help it spur me on. And actually, when I do things that scare me or I get worried about, like public speaking, which I do pretty regularly, but I, I, but I never feel like this is a breeze. I never get up there thinking, yeah. And actually, I think if I did get there in a sort of laissez-faire way, I'd probably be a worse speaker. That fear, that anxiety pushes me to my peak performance. So it, it, um, it helps me. And so I, I think it's like everything in life. It's balance, isn't it? Fear and anxiety are actually there for information. They can help us, but we just have to learn. We've got to stretch those muscles and practice using those muscles, as it were. We've got to practice understanding how we, we're all different, how we can best use them, actually. And not just anxiety is not something we should just put in a box that is bad. It can actually help us as well. I, I just love that reframing that anxiety is our superpower, because I think often what happens is when we feel anxious about something, we kind of freeze and it's just too difficult to do this and you can't make yourself do it. But reframing it as excitement, as a superpower and tapping into it 
and and thinking of yourself as I don't know Spider Man or Superman or Spider Woman or Superwoman with extra uh, sensory hearing, supervision, and adrenaline that's going to give you the energy to step on that stage and rather than sort of crawl onto the stage shivering, to use the energy to propel yourself onto the stage and to have the impetus to speak up in terms of public speaking or whatever it is that we're afraid of. I I just love that. I think uh, the next time I feel that, I'm going to remember this and imagine myself transforming into a superheroine. Excellent. What I'd like to to talk about a bit more is how do we... um, translate when we talked about freya and uh, using her climbing experience in in her work are there any other examples or can you think of any other ways that we can translate um what our experiences of adventure into our ordinary lives there's so much that we can learn from adventure that we can take to our ordinary lives as it were it's the idea of stepping outside of our every day even if it's just outside into the garden to camp overnight but it's stepping out of our everyday norms and doing something extraordinary it's the gifts that you get by doing that the confidence the self-awareness the relationship building that and then bringing it back to our everyday lives that's the step that makes adventure important if it was only helping us during the adventure it wouldn't be important and and i think it wouldn't be relevant enough so there is so much gosh i've written a book about it because there's like, um, how, oh gosh, I've forgotten how many chapters, but there's about 10 chapters or something. Um, it helps us to reframe fear. We've talked about it helps us to build resilience. It helps us to grow. It helps us to grow up, particularly important in childhood. I think it helps us to find meaning. So many people I've, I've come across have found meaning through taking on challenges in the natural world. Um, meaning within the whole of their lives, you know, across their lives. It's facing fears and there's so many things that adventure can um, can help us with. I think the anxiety that we might feel or the fear that we might feel in the outdoors on doing adventures, I think is nothing compared to the anxiety and fear that I I experience personally and that I see in our modern day lives. We talk about our modern day lives as being comfortable. Actually, they're incredibly uncomfortable in, as well, in the sense that we have these, we have these stresses that are never ending. Things like social media, things like buying a house or doing exams. These are very long term stresses whereby we are not having the relief ever. Or, or at least for years or, or for a long period of time, the cortisol in our bodies builds up, the, the anxiety and the stress. These are the things that I find the heart much harder to deal with than anything in the natural world. These are the things I think are breaking us down. And it's by stepping into the outdoors and doing something adventurous where we actually are able to find much, much more relief. So you have stresses, you have anxieties. Um, you know, you're sat in a wet tent thinking in, in heavy rain, you're thinking, is the tent going to hold? You know, and so on and so forth. But you also, as long as you're not on the top of Everest at the time, you're, you're also thinking, well, it, we're probably, we're not going to die. So what's the worst that can happen? And you get through it and you might have a tough time, but I'm not talking about doing reckless, crazy adventures where you're risking your lives. You know, 
99.9% of adventures involve no risk taking of your life, you know, no risk to your life at all. But what happens is you have these short term stresses, but they're extremely natural. That's how we evolved to live. We are animals. We are hunter gatherers. We are part of nature. We evolved to live in an environment that gives us stresses and, and anxieties, but they are short lived and they are varied. And therefore we have this opportunity to have the feedback, positive feedback, because we then get through them and we feel top of the world or we feel you know, great and proud of ourselves. Whether you, you jump, jump off a, a small cliff jump into a lake or into a river or something, you know, one that is obviously sensible to, to be doing. Um, or you take on kayaking for the first time and you feel fantastic. That's, that's a really wonderful reframing, actually. And in fact, when you, when we go off out in nature and do something physical, in a way, it resets. It resets us. We're breathing harder. So we're taking in more oxygen. Our muscles are, are working. We're sweating. We're being in our physical animal bodies for a change as opposed to cerebrally stuck in front of a computer, whatever. And we come back generally revitalized. We may be tired, sweaty, muddy, a, a bit miz from being cold, but actually we come back with a kind of almost like a, a sort of exhilaration from having had those slightly mis experiences. Yes, I think it's the feeling of feeling alive. Um, in all the research that I did for my book, and it, before it was a book, just wanting to understand why adventure is so essential to us, the phrase I've heard the most over the last decade or so is this idea of it makes me feel alive. It makes me feel most alive. Do you have any final words about anxiety and courage and adventure for our listeners? We all have ups and downs. We have difficult times in our lives. We will all be thrown traumatic and difficult times that we have not chosen. But I just, I, I'm a real believer that we have a choice in how we react to those things. And therefore, Spending time doing things that we are drawn to and that make us feel good about ourselves, prepare us to deal with those times. And also, more importantly, they help us to just live our best lives because we're here. We will deal with difficulties. We'll all have our own challenges to face, but life really is about having joy and finding the wonderful experiences that life love worth living. And so I think adventure is a wonderful road to doing that. Belinda Kirk, thank you so much for speaking with us and sharing your experiences of adventure. Well, it's been lovely. Thank you very much for inviting me. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll go on an adventure sometime. Kayaking, maybe. Oh, yes, that would be grand. My guest today was Belinda Kirk. You can find links to some of the things we talked about on the show notes page, where there are also photos and credits. Go to my website, tigerspirit.co.uk, and click through to The Anxiety Advantage. In other episodes in Season 2, you can listen to leadership communications expert Sarah Lloyd-Hughes sharing her insights on anxiety, leadership, and speaking up. And... Later in the season, 
I will be talking about things that have made me brave. Or you can find all the episodes from season one, which explore how we can invite anxiety to be a friend and ally. These podcasts share my personal experience and perspective, and I do not claim to speak for everyone who may be living with anxiety. I'm not an expert and have no medical or counselling qualifications. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only. Views expressed by my guests are entirely their own and do not represent my views. If you are affected by anything in these podcasts, please seek the advice of your doctor or other qualified professional. I hope you will follow or subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's free. New episodes will then pop into your pod listening app as soon as they are published. Also, if you have particularly enjoyed this episode or the podcast generally, I hope you will leave me a lovely review on your podcast app or simply give the podcast a positive star rating. That will tell the algorithm elves that this is a podcast worth listening to. And hopefully that will help other anxious or courageous people find the anxiety advantage. Please do share this podcast as well with your friends by email, WhatsApp, or wherever you share stuff. Wouldn't it be grand if more people could find out that they are courageous types rather than anxious types? I'm Yang Mei Ui. The website link again is tigerspirits.co.uk and then click through to The Anxiety Advantage. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, where I am at TigerSpiritUK. Or you can simply Google the podcast, The Anxiety Advantage, and my name, Yang Mei Ui. Thank you for listening and see you again soon.